All right, today I'm going to answer the question that I get the most often, which is that if I was starting over again from scratch and I had no money in my bank account, I didn't have any special skills or network or people that are audience to, to use, how would I do it? How would I make myself successful? How would I make my first million if I was starting over from scratch again? I'm 25 years old and it's 2024. What would I do today? And um, I'm going to answer this question. I will give you an answer to this question. I'm worked up, as you can see, because I got an answer to this question. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. I put my all in it like no days off. I want to give you an observation about this question, because the question is actually, I think we would all agree, it's a money question. It's a success question. How would you make it? That's really what people want to know. But they always add this, if you were 21 years old again, if you were 25 years old again, they add this age component to it which is sort of funny because um, I don't care if you're 21, you're 31, you're 41. If you're broke, you're broke. If you're, if you're not successful, you're not successful. It doesn't matter what age you are. It is your day one. You can't go back in time. So really, it doesn't matter what, what how old you are. You know, the, the reason I think people say if you were 21 again or 25 again is because they're like, if, if all the possibilities were on the table, if, if you had all the hope in the world again at that age. And the reality is one thing you should take away from this is should always have that 21-year-old mindset. You should always have the belief that the whole, my whole world is in front of me, that my best days are ahead of me, that anything is possible, and that I can reinvent myself right now. Um, I could today, on the spot, reinvent myself and to decide I'm a different guy now. I do a different thing. I do things a different way. That old guy, he's gone. He's the old me. And so I think the first thing to do is to free yourself of the time constraint, uh, the age constraint, which only adds pressure and doubt and anxiety to the equation, which none of that helps you be successful. I remember when I was 29 years old and I had this like ex existential crisis because I was like, oh, I thought I was going to be Forbes 30 under 30. And I thought I'd be, you know, have a million dollars in my bank account by now. And I didn't have any of those things. And then I was like, all right, well, guess that didn't happen. Moving on. And I just continued on. And by 30, all of a sudden I sold my company and had a whole bunch of breakthroughs. And a big part of that was just getting the weight off my shoulders of feeling like I'm behind or playing catch up. Instead, I wanted to be playing offense. And so my question, uh, my answer to this question is comes from a place of offense. So let's take the age out. Let's think of it like it's karate. We're white belts again. If we started as a white belt and we want to make our way up to a black belt in the game of success, what would we do? Hey, quick break to talk about our sponsor today. We're talking about HubSpot and their new AI-powered service hub. Okay, so what is service hub? Basically, every customer today wants to be talked to in a personalized way. And before, that required tons of human agents. But now, with AI, you could do that in a personalized way with fewer humans involved. And so you don't have to scale up your team in order to deliver personalized chat and service. So check out HubSpot's new service hub to use their AI tools to give better support to your customers. That's what they want and that's what they deserve. So visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn how this all new solution can help you deliver customer service with AI to your customers. So let's break this down into smaller chunks. Um, I The best metaphor I have or our best framework I've heard for my career was that everybody goes through three phases in their career. And the three phases are number one, learn, earn, and legacy. So this learn, earn, legacy framework that your career will go into those chapters. The beginning of your career is generally the learn period. This is when you got internships or you're just starting your first business, you're making a bunch of mistakes, um, or you go work at a bigger company just to see what it's like and you're getting, you know, you're getting your experience. That's the learn phase of your career. What's most important in the learn phase of your career is what you optimize for. So one job offers you an extra $15,000. The other job offers you $15,000 less, which job should you take? Most people take the one that pays them the extra 15K a year, which is like 
9K after taxes or something like that. And even though the other job would have been a far better learning experience for them, that they were going to get way more hands-on experience working with way smarter people on more interesting projects, which in the long run would have paid off in a much bigger way. So why is it important to know you're in the learn phase? Because you know what to prioritize. Your key KPI is how much learning per month am I doing? How much am I growing per month as a person? I'm building me as a product right now. That's the learn phase. Earn phase is now I've built myself as a product. I have the skills. I know what to do. I understand the market and I can actually go and I can reap what I've sowed. So I can actually extract some value. Now I have cash in the bank, which lets me get to the ultimate point of financial freedom where your money works for money and you work for you. That's where your investments generate enough income. You don't need to be doing any job. So that way you can just work on whatever you're most interested in, whatever you're passionate about, whatever you love. And so the earn phase comes next. And then there's a the legacy phase, which is where you see a lot of people get to when they, you know, they want to go to Mars and then they want to, uh, you know, buy this newspaper company to keep, you know, or start a foundation or go back and teach at their college or whatever it is. Legacy is how you give back. It's how you remember it for doing something that's beyond yourself contributing. And I think this framework is a good framework for a career. And I think, I think it is the natural evolution of a successful career. That's the first, first thing I would keep in mind. So those first 10 years, and I say 10 years because 10 years sounds like a long time, but um, you know, what's the phrase? Like we overestimate what we can do in a year and we underestimate what we can do in 10. So true. Um, the first 10 years, you are in the learn phase. You are actually just uh, dabbling. So uh, you, we are told that we should um, stick to it, be determined, do, do blah, blah, blah. That's the wrong advice. Uh, it's the same bad advice that gets you when you're 18, 19 years old to declare your major. Um, I even love that they call it declare. Like, I'm going to be like, yeah, you know, chemistry, right? Like, you know, what, what are we doing based on what, based on what experience I'm a bio and chemistry major. I knew nothing about any of those. I don't even know what jobs they create, but at 18 years old, I'm supposed to declare my major or fall behind silly. And so we don't want to fall into the silly traps and pressures that people pigeonhole you into. So what are you going to do for your, for your major? What are you going to do for your career? Um, what, you know, what, what field are you in? The answer is I'm dating around right? Just like we date before we get married, you want to do the same thing with your career. So you're going to be dabbling. So you should be expecting to, I don't know, every 18 months, turn over and reinvent yourself and hop into a new situation to keep challenging yourself. And what you're trying to do is not, you're not trying to change. You're using change to find the thing that you are uniquely capable of. And that's the next key lesson, identifying your edge. So the second thing I would do if I was starting over again is I would realize that I'm in the learn phase, I would start dabbling and I would be trying to identify my edge. This really breaks up into two categories. The first edge is one that everybody who's not successful yet has, which is you're small and you're helpless. And what that means is that people will help you. Like, I can't tell you how many meetings I got with amazing people, how many opportunities I got, how many times I got to shadow somebody or ride along with somebody because I just told them like, Hey, I think what you do is amazing. And I don't know the first thing about it. Um, I, I don't know how I can help you. I want to help you someday, but at least I can help you because, hey, it, it always feels good to give back, right? To help somebody out. I'm giving you that opportunity. Can I just, can I just figure, learn this with you? Will you, will you show me how this works? And um, being small and helpless is a absolute edge that most people who are unsuccessful try to hide. They're embarrassed that they're not successful. They're embarrassed that they're starting at the beginning. And because of that, they throw away one of their best edges, which is that people want to help people who are at the, who are beginners. And so um, embrace that you're a beginner. That is part of your edge. The next thing is you got time. You're not busy. So for me, there are so many opportunities I don't do because I have a $5,000 an hour 
time budget. So if, if, if something's going to cost me an hour, it needs to be worth at least $5,000. But when I was younger, I would have done, I did psych studies. I would go take a pill or go, you know, try to read from this card for $7 an hour, right? I, my hourly rate was much lower back then. And so I was willing to do a whole bunch of things that other people wouldn't do because I'm not busy. My calendar is clear. That's a huge advantage you have. That's another part of your edge. Another part of your edge. You have nothing to lose. And by the way, a lot of this is mindset because the actions you take are downstream of your mindset, right? Like the actions you take, which is what people want. They want the answer. What I'm giving you is a way for you to always get the answer. So you don't need to watch a video like this. You can be the guy who makes videos like this. And how do you do that? You figure out the mindset first so that then the actions come quite naturally. So let me finish the mindset section. Then I'll tell you the actions. So the mindset, the next part of the mindset that matters is you have nothing to lose. So just like you're small and you're helpless, just like you got a clear calendar and nothing to do, you also got nothing to lose. You're already lost. You got nothing. You're starting at rock bottom, but that's a pretty solid foundation. And what you want to do with that foundation is take more risks than somebody who has something to lose. For me now, if I go do something, I have my reputation. People could see me fail. I have to do some things of a certain caliber. And that means I might be overlooking some hidden gem type of opportunities. Um, you know, I don't go to conferences. I don't go to certain meetings, but you should, if you're in that boat, boat where you have nothing to lose, cause you got everything to gain. Um, the last thing is you now need to find your personal edge. So those first ones are the, the common edges of losers, right? The loser's edge and losers have those edges and you should embrace the loser's edge because the loser's edge is what may, helps you become a winner. Now you need to find your personal edge. Your personal edge is going to be the thing that comes naturally to you. It comes easy to you. Maybe you're funny. Maybe you don't mind grinding things out when everybody else gets fatigued. Maybe you're, maybe you have an eye, you have really good taste. And, and, you know, even though you're not a great designer or product builder today, you can identify great design and product building and understand it. And taste is a, it could be part of your personal edge. My friend, Chris Williamson told me this today on a call. He goes, um, yeah, you're like a bear riding a unicycle. <laughs> I go, what? He goes, um, you know, a bear that's cool, but not altogether that special. A unicycle, that's cool, but not 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 that special. A bear riding a unicycle, that, that's fucking amazing. And so a bear riding a unicycle is a way to think about finding that unique combination of things that makes you you. So for some people, it might be that they are a really talented programmer, but they also love to study anatomy or biology, and they should actually go into that field, the crossover of computer science and biology. For some people, it's that they're just really good with, they're a really good people person, and that's cool, but now how do you pair that with, um, you know, you're, you're willing to work twice as hard as the average person, or you love sports, or whatever it is. And you try to find an overlap of two or three things that are true about you that create a unique combination. For me, for example, I'm a successful business guy, but I'm not the most successful business guy, right? There's people who are worth hundreds of million dollars. I'm not. Um, but I'm more successful than 98% of people on the business side. But then I'm also kind of entertaining and funny. I'm good at talking. And there's a lot of better talkers than me, but they're not that successful on the business side. There's a lot of better business people than me, but they're kind of boring when they talk. And so my overlap is some combination of I love you know, creating content. I love being curious about things and turning it into content. I'm good at talking and I'm successful. That became my first million, a podcast that really nobody else could host. It was unique to me. It was my bear on my unicycle. And um, I only found that when I started following my personal edge. And so you want to find your personal edge. And if you don't have one today, don't worry. That's okay. You're again, you're a blank slate. Ask your friends, what are some things about me that are true? Where am I more above normal people or more than normal people when it comes to some area of my life? 
maybe other people can see it for you. Or maybe you say, look, it's my opportunity to develop that. I'm going to become a great writer by practicing. I'm going to become a great salesperson by practicing. And that'll be one of my things. So you want to create your personal edge. All right. So you've decided you're in the learn phase. You're dabbling. You're, you're discovering your personal edge. All right. That all comes together. And what happens? The scoreboard still says zero <laughs> because the scoreboard is this lagging indicator of how many companies you've sold, how many millions of dollars you have in the bank. Um, but you are building up. You are not actually at zero. You have made a ton of progress, but there's still one more unlock that you have to do, and that's picking the right project. So what projects would I pick if I were in this category? There's a, a general question. I'll, I'll, I'll give you some like common questions, fork in the roads that people come to. So a fork of the road I often get is, should I start my own company or should I, um, should I join an existing company and get experience that way? And smart people will tell you both things, right? Generally, people just say the thing that they did and they say, that's the best way to do things. Um, so, you know, I think the, the real takeaway is that either way works. Which one should you choose? Well, again, when you're optimizing for learning, there's a really specific thing you're actually trying to do. You are trying to get around the smartest and most ambitious people you can doing the thing that also want to do the thing that you want to do. It doesn't matter if that's you're a musician and you want to, uh, you, then you should be hanging out with other musicians that are trying to make it. Um, I have friends that are big TikTokers or Viners or YouTubers. They all moved to LA. They all moved into houses together or on the same street as each other. And they hung out with other people who were super driven at the same thing that they wanted to do. It's why I moved to Silicon Valley. And that's one thing I would do again. I would pick up and move to a place where I could find other people that are just like me chasing the same dream as me because that is contagious and you'll be sharing information. So you won't just be learning your lessons, you'll be learning from the other people around you. And that it will become normal to see people succeed at doing this. It's very um, underrated how important that is to see other people just like you that you know are not so much more special than you succeeding at the thing you want to do. It's what will keep you going even when times get tough. And so that's the first thing you're trying to do. You're actually trying to pick either the company or the job that is going to get you around the smartest, most ambitious people that want to do the same thing as you want to do. For me, that was starting a startup and moving to Silicon Valley. For you, that might be joining whatever this generation's Google is, um, you know, and, and getting around really smart people that are all flocked to this thing, right? Like OpenAI or one of, the, one of these companies where a, it's a talent magnet for young, ambitious, um, motivated people. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct-to-consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing, if you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives. That I thought it's pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to D2C Pod wherever you get your podcasts. The next thing you need to do, you got to pick the opportunity, whether it's a job or your company or starting a company that will let you do actual work versus being an observer on the fringe. So unfortunately for most people, they go take a job at some prestigious company and they think, oh, I'm getting the experience because, of course, working at Facebook in 2024 is like, you know, that's, I'm getting experience. But their employee number, 42,000, sitting on the fringe, not even knowing what's actually going on inside Facebook, not getting any access to the real problems. And so whichever path you choose, for me, I chose the path of starting a company, and that's the one I would do again. 
But if you choose, even if you choose joining a company, here's your criteria. You have to be working on the A plus problem. Every company has the A plus problem at any given time. Sometimes the A plus problem is we're getting sued and we need to deal with this. Sometimes the A plus problem is our growth stopped and we have no idea why, and we got to get this thing back growing again. Sometimes it's we're growing so fast, we can't even keep up with operations. Hey, could somebody go move to Atlanta and spin up our Atlanta office? Because we, uh, we need more people in Atlanta, right? Like I know people that were early at Uber. This was what was going on. Uber was working. They couldn't even keep up with demand. And people who made millions of dollars and became really smart at Uber were people who were like, yeah, I'll go move to Kansas City. I'll, I'll boot up Kansas City as a market. And they're like, do you have any experience with Kansas City? They're like, hell no. Couldn't even find it on a map. Didn't matter. They were willing to go work on the A-plus problem. I'll give you a personal example. When I got, when we got acquired by Twitch, um, they were like, your job is, they bought our esports platform and they were like, you're now the director of esports. Okay, cool. I'm supposed to work on this esports thing. And my friend said something to me that, my co-founder Furkan, he said something to me that stuck with me. He goes, he was, he was looking at the overall company dashboard and he's like, they're making some, I can't say the number, it's not, I'm not allowed to, but some huge number. Starts with a B and ends with an Illion. Um, in revenue. And so they were like, he was like, don't you think that when we're here, you know, I don't know how long we're going to be here. Our vesting date is, is a year from now. Like, don't you think we should work on something that at least moves the needle 5%? Like he's the way he said it was, wouldn't you feel like a bitch if we worked here for a year and we didn't even make a 5% swing in the company? And I was like, I would feel like a bitch if that happened. Uh, you know, I don't, like, now that you say that, I can't go back to just work. He's like, do you think the thing we're doing right now can swing it by 5%. I was like, hell no. You know, like this, that, that's not what this is going to do. This is going to do these other things, but it's not going to do that. And so we basically went on strike from day one. And we were like, we're just not going to do work until we figure out what is the A plus problem. What is the thing that actually matters in this company? And we're just not going to busy ourselves until we find that. And luckily at a big company, knows what, nobody knows what the hell you're doing anyway. So the first two weeks, I was just walking around asking people questions, trying to figure out what actually matters here. And I found a project that was like, actually a big project and we pitched it to the ceo and we're like hey this is a big problem do you have anyone who's solving this and he's like no it's like cool i'm free he's like you're free i thought you're supposed to be working on the thing i'm like nah, but this is bigger right and he's like yeah it is bigger and so we he created a special team and we ran it to do that thing and we actually made a big impact um this happened again i remember when i was at twitch and the top streamer on twitch was this guy named ninja he got sponsored by red bull and he was like the star he was on tv all the time and Fortnite was in its heyday and ninja was the guy and then Microsoft came and paid Ninja like $20 million to leave Twitch and go over there. And we lost our, our biggest streamer overnight. It's like if, you know, the Warriors, uh, you know, if somebody came and took Steph Curry off the Warriors, just paid him and he left. It's like, oh, shit. And it was an oh, shit moment. I said, well, that's probably the A-plus problem right now. So what did I do? I dropped everything I was doing and I started working on that. Nobody had told me even what to work on, but I wrote a memo. I said, hey, it looks like he left. Here's some data analysis on how big of a problem that is or how little of a problem that is. Here's my strategy recommendation on what we should do. And I just send it to the CEO, <laughs> right? When in doubt, put a letter in the CEO's mailbox. And he's like, this is great. Here, joining, and he put me in three group chats right away, which were like the team, the exec teams that were working on that. And he's like, hey, you know, Sean's in on this. And they're like, why? He doesn't, he's supposed to be doing this other thing. And it's like, he has good, he has good thoughts on this. And so there's a way to work on the A plus problem, even if you're in a big company. Or if you're an entrepreneur, by definition, you should always be working on the A-plus problem. It's forced. And so I learned that skill because I first started my own companies and I knew you just got to always be working on the one big thing. What's the one A-plus problem right now? So that's the second principle you have to do during this early phase. So what would I actually do? I would be 
Whether I start my own company or join one, I would be finding a way to work on the A-plus problem at all times. The last one is I'm creating luck. I'm creating a landing area for luck. And I want Lady Luck to come when she's flying by to see the surface area on my back and say, that looks like a good spot to set up camp for the night. And how do you do that? Well, I heard this great thing. I've said it a couple of times on the podcast, but you know what? Great things are worth repeating. There are four levels of luck. You got to be aware of them and then actually manufacture them. So luck is not something that happens to you. It is something that you can create and increase the odds of happening in your life. The first level of luck is just blind luck. That's the one where you didn't do shit. You just got struck by lightning. All right, fair enough. Nothing really, really you could do for that first level of luck, except for appreciate it when it does happen. Sometimes things truly do fall in your lap, but that's rare. Second level of luck is you're taking a bunch of action. You're just doing a bunch of shit and then good things happen to you. And this is fortune favors the bold. And so you should be looking at how do I just do more things, show up to more events, uh, make some introductions for people, uh, you know, just publish an analysis of something on the internet and maybe somebody smart will read it and think, hey, this guy's awesome. I would love to meet him. You know, these are the things you do to create luck. Content is an amazing way to create luck. So if I was 25 again, I would be creating content. In, not because I think I could create a big audience. In fact, I almost think that would be a disservice if everybody's now listening to some 23-year-old, 25-year-old who's got no experience, no track record of success. Like, I'm not trying to present myself as a thought leader. What I would be trying to do is publishing my thoughts which puts pressure on me to have good thoughts and go learn some shit in order to hopefully have a small group of people who are interesting think that I'm interesting. And that increases my surface area for luck. So I'd be creating content on a regular basis, publishing my thoughts. I think um, when my intern came on here, the episode called, you know, my intern, uh, my 18 year old intern became a millionaire. One of the reasons why is because he said that he either he wrote it or his friend wrote an analysis about a stock why the stock was good. And like, of course, you're 18 years old. What do you really know about stocks? But it forced him to think why this could be a good buy. And he published it. And then someone interesting followed him because of that. And that became a lunch. And then that guy became his investor. And like all this series of events played out because he was putting his thoughts out there on, on the internet. And I think that's just like a core thing I would be doing on a regular basis, but not to become popular and not to, be, uh, I always say, you don't want to be well-known. You want to be known well. So I would not be trying to be popular and get the biggest audience possible. I would be trying to put my original thoughts and most unique analysis out there so that the right people find me, the people that I want to be known well by, because that's how new opportunities are going to happen. Okay. So let's say I've gone down this path. For me, that would be, I would start a company. Well, what company? It'd be any company where I feel like there's a, um, you know, a problem and a solution fit. For me now, that would be a service company. I didn't do this at the time. But with the benefit of hindsight, I would say, cool, I would do some basic envelope math. I would say, well, I want to have, can I have 10 customers paying me $10,000 a month? 10 customers. Now, $10,000 might sound crazy, but like for a business, business to spend $10,000 on things. Uh, but I would say, that'd be my benchmark. 10 customers paying me $10,000 a month. That's $100,000 a month of income, which is fucking baller if you missed that part. So if you're doing 100K a month, you're doing 1.2 a year, you're doing the work mostly. So it's, you know, 90% profit margin. You hire one or two schleps to work with you. And now, you know, you're 85% profit margin. You're making a million dollars a year of profit. That would be my goal of what I'm trying to get to. Now, what type of service would I, would I do? Well, I would work backwards from what's a service that I think I could pull off 
that um, doesn't, I would not limit myself to my skills. So what I would do is I would go on Upwork or I would go on Fiverr or I would go, I would look at other agencies that are already existing. I would try to figure out what is a agency or consulting service that people are willing to pay 10K a month for on a retainer, like on a recurring basis, that either I could do myself or I could hire people overseas um, to, to do them, right? Like I, I'm an investor in Shepard. You can go on Shepard. You can say, hey, uh, I want web developers in LADAM that I pay a thousand, you know, I pay a thousand to $2,000 a month. And then you could create a web development agency. Then you could go and, you know, what I would do is I would go and I would email everybody, every real estate agent in my city. Very easy contact information is fine. I would say, hey, um, I was on your website. It doesn't look great, but, um, you know, hey, look at this example website, this other guy, his website's awesome. Um, I make awesome websites like that. If you ever want to want a website, like I'm happy to, to do it for you. Or, hey, um, uh, you know, that's probably a lower ticket item. That's probably like, you know, $500 a month and I'll do that for you. And you get way more people to do it. Or you go to a senior living facility and you say, hey, guy who runs a senior living, a nursing home. Uh, you know, if you've ever met people who run nursing homes, they're not the best at marketing. They're usually like older people who are in the hospitality business, maybe the real estate business. And you'd say, hey, um, I'd love to sit down with you because I think I can help you fill your occupancy in your senior living facility. Because I know that filling occupancy is directly translates to cha-ching in their ears. And so occupancy rate goes up, means more beds booked, means more money for them. And I would say, if I could bring you one new occupant per month, um, what would you be willing to pay me? They say, well, we, well, we make $6,000 a month off each person. So I would pay you the first month's rent. I'd pay you six grand for every person you could bring in. You say, fantastic. So I just got to get you two people a month and I'm making 10, over 10 grand a month off this one facility. And then I would figure out how to create content or do cold calling or do lead gen or throw events or go to the hospitals and partner with people and, and figure out, hey, hospital, when you kick people out, when they're still old and sick, but you don't keep them anymore, where do they go? And they're like, oh, we just all send them to this one facility. And, I'm, and I would say, hey, how can I get you to send me those leads? Because um, we have a great facility to take care of those people. And so I would, I would go find an industry that needs help getting customers and I would help them get customers either through their website, through their Facebook ads, their marketing, whatever. And I don't need to be an expert because, you know, what's it to, to a blind man? Uh, the one-eyed man is king. That's what I would go look for. I would go look for the blind man. I would go look for someone who's running a senior living facility is probably terrible at marketing, probably doesn't know how to run a Google ad. And so if I just sit here for eight hours on YouTube, I'm pretty sure I can become the smartest Google ad person in their life. <laughs> That's what I would do. And so I would try to figure out a way to do this product, uh, productized agency and try to get to that 100K a month uh, bar. And I'd be okay at the first month getting to 1,000 a month, 4,000 a month, 10,000 a month, uh, but slowly but surely be, be trying to build up to that, to that level. And the math I said earlier about 10 customers paying 10K, it doesn't matter whether it's 10 paying 10 or it's 20 paying five or it's 30 paying three. I could do this all day, by the way. Um, you are just trying to do math to get figure out how do you get to $100,000 uh, a month? Oh, okay, I need to be able to service, let's say, 25 customers. Do I think I can find 25 humans on earth that are willing to pay me four grand a month to help them get more customers? Yes, <laughs> right? Like That's what I would do. Um, and then, by the way, I would take that agency and as soon as I get it to 100K a month, I would go try to sell it because I'm doing, let's say, 800 to 900K a year of profit and I would go try to sell that for four times profit, and I'd have $4 million. That's what I would try to do. More MFM in just a minute. First, let me tell you about one of the joys in my life, and that is a virtual assistant. 
you know, here's the scenario. I'm running my companies. I spend 30% of my time just doing random bullshit. The stuff that has to get done, but it's not creativity. It doesn't require me and it doesn't add a bunch of value to the business. It's just stuff. And so that stuff is what a virtual assistant does. So having a virtual assistant is a no-brainer, whether it's travel booking, email inbox, or just knocking stuff off your personal to-do list that would have just lingered there forever. I think it's a no-brainer. If you're a business owner, you should definitely do it. I think one of the best places to find an assistant is Shepard. So go to supportshepherd.com. Super affordable. It's something that um, you know you don't need to have the biggest business ever, be the biggest big shot in order to afford it. So it's amazing. Go to supportshepherd.com, check them out, and tell them I sent you. They'll take good care of you if you do that. So supportshepherd.com, check it out. All right, let's get back to the pod. Um, all right, so now let's pretend I'm somewhere in the middle of that process and I get a little bit of money. Here's a common mistake people make. You get a little bit of money, you get 10, 20 grand, you've been listening to podcasts from schmucks like me and you're like, oh, I think I should be investing, um, angel investing, S&P 500, bond, what's a bond? And you start trying to come up with some like financial strategy. Complete waste of time. Um, you don't want to be making 8% on $80,000 a year. It honestly doesn't matter if your goals are to be a multimillionaire, a successful person who's going to do big things in their life. Of course, if to you, $8,000 is like the jackpot, then do that. But most people listen to this podcast that is titled My First Million are not going to be happy at that level. They're trying to be in you know the seven-figure, eight-figure, nine-figure club. And so how do you get there? You'd get there by not wasting time and energy on the wrong things. The wrong thing would be you have a very small principal amount of money and you're going to try to earn a, you're going to try to beat the market and earn a 12% or 15% annual return on $42,000. It just simply doesn't matter. So the advice, the good advice you'll hear about this is, well, um, you should invest in yourself. And so most people hear that, they're like, yeah, you're right. I should invest in myself. And then they're like, where do I put the money? Where the fuck does the money go? How do you invest in yourself? What do you do? Um, and most people have no idea what you actually do. And so here's what, to me, investing in yourself means. Let's break it into three categories. Category one, buying back your time. So the first investment you want to make in yourself is to get your creative energy back. So when you're doing life, you're unfortunately forced to do a bunch of life bullshit. And life bullshit sucks away your creative forces. Uh, life bullshit is running an errand, doing a return, having to go um, you know, take the bus to the airport because you can't afford an Uber ride, whatever. So the very first thing you could do is you're going to identify any area of your life where you are leaking creative energy, spending time on something that you, A, don't enjoy, and B, doesn't make you money. You're going to buy that back. So you're going to be a 24-year-old with a housekeeper, and people are going to think you're spoiled. You're going to be the 27-year-old who doesn't return the blender that doesn't work because it's not worth your time to go to the store and drop it off. Um, you are going to buy back your time. You're going to hire an assistant overseas for $800 a month using Shepard promo code Sean. In order to um, buy back your time and not have to deal with tedious back and forths of scheduling or whatever it is. Um, if you're doing a productized service, you're going to hire a designer so that you don't have to do the design work anymore. So you're going to buy back your time. That's category one of how you actually literally invest in yourself. Um, category two, how do you invest in yourself? You invest in the knowledge, as Ty Lopez likes to say. And the knowledge is, of course, books. You give yourself an unlimited book budget, but you go beyond that. You're going to buy your way into a, um, you know, any conference or group or member members club where you know that people who are where you want to be hang out and you're going to get around them more often because proximity is power. And the more time you spend around people who are the way you want to be, the more you will automatically through osmosis become like them. Um, 
The third one is so you you've bought back your time, you've bought your way in to being around proximity around other people that you want. Sometimes that's moving to a better location, it's conferences, it's membership clubs, it's masterminds, whatever. Three is invest in yourself uh, by leaving money on the table. Oh shit! What is he talking about? That sounds smart. That's some that's some Uno reverse card bullshit, right? How do you invest in yourself by leaving money on the table? You invest in yourself by saying no to clients that are going to waste your time. You invest in yourself by taking a lower paying job with a badass person, right? Let's say I take 25K less to go work for a badass person, which by the way, I did. Um, I took a multi-million dollar pay cut in our acquisition because in one, I was going to get to work with the CEO and then the other, I was going to be three layers below the CEO. And so I just decided I'd rather be around smarter people um, and, you know, optimize for that. And so I believe that what you should do is you should take pay cuts to put yourself in great opportunities or around amazing people or working with amazing people. Um, you, maybe you take a little less equity. Maybe you take a little bit less salary, uh, in order to be with the right people. And so that's the, that's the last way you invest in yourself because you say, yeah, I left that 25 K on the table, but I also invested that in being in a better opportunity for myself, which is going to lead to good things down the road. All right, let's move to the next next questions. We got a couple left here. So this idea of, do I try to make a bunch of money first or do I do something mission-oriented, um, which is the Justin Mayer's quote, um, first get your nut, then do something noble. Um, I believe this is true. This is the life version of put your oxygen mask on you before you put it on your kids, like, like you see it here on an airplane. So I think there was a certain threshold of success, which is you've built skills. You know how to build shit. You know how to sell it, right? You know how to figure out a product and you know how to market it. So you got to build that core skill set. It doesn't really matter whether you're selling, you know, um, you know, these cans or you're selling uh, life-changing, you know, pharmaceuticals. It's kind of the same thing. You need to build a core skill set first. Don't, don't worry about the product in that meantime. The second thing is going to be, um, you need enough money, enough runway to chase a noble mission. So like if you go try to chase a noble mission, but you don't know where the rent comes from every month, um, you are going to lower your odds of success pretty dramatically just because you didn't give yourself enough runway to go do something bold and audacious and ambitious. Of course, don't fall into the trap of perpetually waiting the next year. Maybe next year I'll have enough time, money, experience to go do the thing I really want to do. I believe you should always go do the thing you really want to do. I don't think the thing you really want to do has to be a noble, world-changing mission, um, especially at the beginning. And so I wouldn't put that pressure on myself. So to summarize my answer on what I would do if I was young, broke, and starting from scratch again in 2024, I would break my career up into three phases, the learn, earn, legacy. I would um, spend my learn phase dabbling, trying to find the thing that I really love to do that I am uniquely good at. So it's that zone of genius, the thing the market wants that you're good at, that you enjoy doing, uh, the bear on the unicycle. And you, you try to find that thing. I would take advantages of my edges. I would identify my edge and I would take advantage of the edges of losers um, during that time. I would optimize around getting around the smartest and most ambitious people I could find. I would do the actual work, the A plus problem. I would create luck. I would not worry about investing. I would only invest in myself along the way. And that is as I get a phone call, that is my answer 
of what I would do if I was starting over from scratch again. Um, yeah, so I guess I just start a marketing agency. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. Oh, yeah.